Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking with Beck Hill. Beck is an award-winning comedian who incorporates arts and crafts into her stand-up routines to create something she describes as paper puppetry. She's a regular on comedy panel shows and her one-liners have featured in the best jokes lists of national newspapers. Her latest show, I'll Be Beck, will be performed at the Edinburgh Fringe this summer. Beck, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. On the profile, we like to start by asking about how you became a Christian. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about your personal faith journey? Yeah, it's um, it's uh, different to most other Christians I know because my family aren't, uh, well, weren't practicing. I would say they're very much agnostic when I was growing up. Um, and I'll, I'll give them this to them. They were very open about talking about what other people believe in and all this sort of thing. And I liked that because it meant that when I had questions, they'd say, oh, well, some people believe this and other people believe this. And it just sort of gave me a really nice um, scope of of all the different sort of belief systems and faiths and things like that, um, as well as neither. And it meant that when I did eventually find faith, I felt very much like I'd chosen this and it was something that, that felt right. Um, so I was about, I think I was maybe about 12 or 13, and uh, a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, was going on church ca- church camp. And I used to go on a lot of summer camps as a kid anyway with the YMCA. And so she was a bit nervous and she said, oh, will you come on camp with me? I really want to go, but I'm really nervous socially. I was like, yeah, of course, I love camp. And we went on this Easter camp. And obviously they talk about Easter and the point of Easter there. And I'd never really, like I vaguely knew about the Easter story but I didn't feel like I really knew Jesus at the time and uh, and they talked about that and it was a mix of learning about that and then just meeting all these incredibly nice in- people who were so inclusive and and loving like the love that was a part of that group was so intense and I just remember thinking like oh this this is this is really good like I feel that this is a path I really want to follow and take because it, it felt like a very good way of living life mm. and um uh and I also very it was the first time I really felt God as a presence um I remember having a moment where I asked my leader oh d- but you say God's everywhere but he doesn't like watch us when we're on the toilet does he and she was like well he, he can see everyone but like if you can see everyone, then there's no embarrassment because every, like there's no secrets and, and there's nothing to be ashamed of because you on the toilet is no different to someone else on the toilet. But I remember that being really like mind-blowing, the idea that God can see you on the toilet, um, which seems so weird now. But yeah, I just uh, so I came to faith um, at that camp and uh, then sort of started attending church. My friend, it was a really nice uh, uniting church in Australia. and Which is where you're from. Yes, where I'm from was where the accent's from. And I went to youth group and I loved youth group and I just, it's hard to explain, but it's that sort of really wholesome fun that it's, it's, 
especially the older you get, it's kind of harder to grab hold of. And I, I just had a really happy teenage life because of it. And um, thankfully, my, my parents were quite supportive and happy to take me to church. And and uh, I led on a few things. And I got to the point that I did actually entertain going to Bible college when I finished high school because I was looking at maybe becoming a high school chaplain. Um, but then I, I ended up starting comedy and my career went off in a completely different path. So I really enjoyed my church when I first came to faith and then I started going because I was a teenager so I was sleeping in on the weekend. So I started going to a, an evening service and then I found uh, the minister changed at my church and a lot of the things that I'd come to love about the faith, I found some of the people there and a part of that new leadership didn't quite follow with what I'd come to know about faith and and what I felt was right according to Jesus's teaching. So that what made kind me of a, things. Um, so there was suddenly became a very big focus on the on growing the church. It became very much about getting more people into the church. And during that time, the friend that introduced me to faith uh, was going through a tough time. And I remember speaking to someone saying, I think we need to give her some attention because I, I think she's struggling at the moment. And nothing happened. And eventually she left the church because she just felt like no one cared. And I was like, oh, you're so caught up on trying to find new sheep that you're losing your flock. And I felt that was a bit, um, that was the first one that made me feel quite uncomfortable. And then uh, they started doing the uh, collection twice every service which made me feel a little bit uncomfortable again because then I felt like it was becoming more about the financial side of it mm. and uh and then the final problem for me was the topic of, of one of the members of the congregation came up because I I don't actually know what happened but I have the feeling that he was um closet in the closet and I, I sort of said oh has he come out just in a very casual way and someone said um, oh no, no, but um, you know, if he is gay, we will fix that. And I just went, oh, this is, this is very far away from from the sort of loving inclusionary faith that I came to to follow. Um, so I ended up stopping going to that church, but I I still felt that I I could still very much feel the presence of God in my life, and I I still very much believed in the teachings of Jesus. So I I didn't lose my faith, but I very much lost faith in the church at that mm. point. At the same point, the one of the ministers who had been at my original church kind of, they'd sort of exposed themselves to someone. I don't think it was anyone underage, but I still I think that they, they'd had a moment and it kind of really made me very um, uncomfortable with the idea of how much power some churches have and then the people in those churches. And unfortunately, some of the people that I went to the um, bigger night church with, who I at the time just saw as the the pinnacle of of what a christian is and and you know they were the biggest christian couple and oh that's you know that's what you aim for and um and since then they've left the church because they ended up becoming involved in the running of the church and then they saw where the money was going and they both immediately lost all faith in it because they felt like it was a scam and that was really disappointing i don't i think it's a shame because i feel like the running of a lot of things end up completely hiding the whole point of the religion so um, I sort of tried a lot of different churches when I moved over here there's a couple that I tried I never had uh, as big of issues with the ones over here but I just didn't quite feel a part of them and then a couple of years ago a friend who had read 
How to Be a Bad Christian and a Better Human Being by uh, Dave Tomlinson had invited me to his church, which happened to be a 20-minute walk from my flat in Holloway. So it's St. Luke's in Holloway. And she said, oh, I'm going to check out this church because I really like this reverend's book. Um, come with me. And she's had a very similar story to mine as well. So we both went along and and it was it was like... I don't know how to explain it. It's like going to a family reunion where you're like, oh, I haven't. It just, it felt right. And I felt something very, clicked. Something clicked mm-hmm. very much. So, and, and that's where um, you've been ever since? I've been there ever since. Yeah. yeah. I'm a very big fan. I don't get to go as much as I'd like because I do stand up for kids. And that means a lot of my shows are on the weekends. But what I love about it, as well as when I go back, I never feel like I've, I don't. I'm, I'm never made to feel like I've let people down or anything because mm. the only person that misses out when I don't go is me. Um, thankfully, they've started putting their services up as podcasts. So every now and then I'll try and listen to what the last sermon was. But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of helped reignite. A... And in terms of where your comedy first started, mm. I understand that your first ever gig was to your youth group. Yeah, right? yeah. One of the um, one of the youth groups that I went to. So around the time that I became a little suspicious of the big church that I was going to, there was a much much smaller community church whose youth group I liked because it was uh, unconventional and and dumb and and you know the a lot of the games involved were like who could drink the most soy sauce. Like it was a, it was real. It was the sort of thing where I think uh, parents would have been a bit. Um, mortified to know what what we did a lot of the people who attended it was incredibly diverse and it meant that there was a real sort of mix of of events and everything that we're getting up to and but it still had that that core of love and I really liked that but I sort of outgrew it unfortunately as I got older um but when I was there they did a talent show and so I was like oh I'll do a stand-up routine and they were so supportive it was such a lovely group and I remember I did it and I, I don't I don't don't you remember my jokes I think one of them was something like oh no I remember one of my first jokes and it was uh so I just got my first job outside of high school you know like my little night job and uh it was at Pizza Hut so I was like oh I work at a I can't say where I work, but let's just say it's a hut of pizza. <laughs> what I hate is when people walk in and they look at the menu for ages and then they say, hmm, I'll have a pizza. What else were you going to order? Shoes? And I thought that was the pinnacle of comedy at that age. I think I was about 15. And uh, and I remember I did about three minutes and and they were so nice. They were so lovely and so supportive, which I just don't think you could get in many places, to be honest, I think. If I'd tried that at a stand-up comedy club, I, there's probably no chance I would have ever tried it again. But, um, <laughs> yeah, since then I remember they were going, oh, you should be a stand-up comedian. You should go, oh, maybe, maybe one day. So, um, yeah, that was, that was technically my first ever gig. gig. Yeah, <laughs> Brilliant. Do you think God has a sense of humour? Oh, absolutely. Have you seen The Body? Ah, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> I think only someone with a good sense of humour could make anything that looks like humans. Yeah, I think absolutely. In fact, there's another comic called uh, Paul Savage and he did a a show called Every Joke in the Bible. Um, So I don't want to step on any of his toes because he's nailed a lot of it. But um, there's a lot of really nice bits that he sort of has pointed out from the Bible that are actually pretty much jokes. There's a couple of puns in the Bible, which I love, a lot of wordplay. Uh, so I would definitely recommend checking him out, Paul Savage, with uh, every joke in the Bible. And Beck, in in reviews of your stand-up comedy, 
you're often described as a ray of sunshine or <laughs> refresh, refreshingly uncynical. Are you naturally an optimistic person who sees the funny side of life or do you actively find ways to cultivate joy? Oh, I think originally when I started, it was very much just how I was wired. And then as you get older, you start to feel a little more cynical. And then I have to actively try and focus on the positives because otherwise it can become quite can drag you down a bit and I've I think of what I've most recently realized is that the best way to cultivate optimism is is to look to those around you because I think for a long I think it's very uh, there's a lot of people out there who can make you feel depressed and I think if you sit there and do nothing then it's very easy to go oh you know no one's doing anything about this and we're powerless and people are always going to be littering even you know when they realise what problems it's causing and all that sort of stuff. And it's very easy to start not liking humanity. And I've found, uh, mainly with thanks to social media and with performing, is that the more I reach out to people and, and ask for positive things, then it really reinstates my faith in humanity. So... Um, for instance, could you, yeah, could you give me yeah I was going to say more recently I'd asked on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, I just said, because um, I was feeling a bit down, I know a lot of people like to share photos of their pets and stuff, but sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed by <laughs> pictures of animals and babies and things. And so I just said, um, can you, if you make anything or if you've ever created anything or made anything, can you post it in the replies? I'd like to get a whole thread of uh, creativity. And both on Facebook and Twitter, I was just overwhelmed by the amount of things that people were constantly doing. So, and and so different. There were people who had drawn pictures, or painted, or sculpted, or sewn something. Or here's a meal I made yesterday. Uh, here's um, uh, here's the uh, the fence that I put up. Here's the the um, here's the flowers that I planted earlier this year, and they're finally blooming. You know, just all these little things like that and totally ranging from you know whether it was just a a, a hobby or, or something that they just had to do because it needed to be done to people who are professional artists or musicians or, or anything like that and it was just and for several days my my notifications was just people showing me these incredible photos that are just or videos and things and it just made me feel really in fact I don't I didn't really get anything cynical in those threads it was it was just people excited to share something that they've done and and that made me feel just really ah oh, yeah we're, we're quite because there's there's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron which is um, an incredible book for anyone who's um, looking for an outlet in terms of creativity and you don't need to be you don't have to have a creative job in fact I would argue it's better for people who don't have a creative job because it makes you realize how important it is to allow yourself to be creative and it very much talks about how uh, we've been created and we've been created in order to create further and I love that I love the idea that God as a creator is, has given us their ability to create more and God takes great joy in seeing us create and it's such a lovely way of living. So it just it's a good book, Artist Way, thoroughly recommend it. But just seeing all these other people creating and I just felt that I feel like that's what God must feel like when they watch what we're up to and what we're doing. You know, it just made me feel really, oh, oh, how great are people? 
And then I, I did some other ones where I just said, you know, what's something that, what's a way that you've been useful recently? Because again, I think sometimes you need permission to say that you've done something. Because sometimes it does feel a bit like you're bragging if you're like, oh, I volunteer on this or I walked, you know, I've walked an old lady across the road. If you just say that, then everyone's like, oh, good for you. What are you looking for? Points. But if someone actively says, tell me a time you've been, because also it makes people think about the times that they've been useful. I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who sometimes think, oh, I'm not, I'm not actually adding anything to society. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm not doing anything actually useful. But when someone asks you to name one and you're like, I guess I did this, that's nice. Like it's, you can start to, sometimes you just have to take a moment to go, oh, I'm not as bad as I tell myself constantly. (laughs) So yeah, that was just, they're they're nice. I think, I think we need to spend more time celebrating other people sometimes. It's very easy to get down. It's often said, isn't it, that some of the funniest people are also some of the saddest. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be the case with people you've met on the circuit? Yeah, I think it's because a lot of comedy is about observing and sometimes that's observing the world or observing yourself. And when you're constantly assessing yourself and what you're saying and what you're thinking and the way you act, that can get quite... uh, You can overthink a lot of things. And I think when you overthink those things, it's very possible to dig yourself into a hole um you can have those it's those moments where you're like oh this didn't work I'm having a bad day oh and now and then it just sort of gains um I I feel it's it's hard because I only most of the people I know are in the industry so I'm like yeah they are sad but I don't know maybe everyone is sad and I just don't know because I don't talk to them as much but um yeah I think there is uh I think when you spend so much time in your own head it it can lead to being a bit more like that or maybe maybe sad people are attracted to comedy because they need a way of looking outside of of um the the way that they're more often than not the the chemistry of their brain is making them feel and they need to find external ways of joy um so it seems to work for for some people are there any subjects that are no-go areas for you because of your faith um i definitely there's no-go uh, well it's an interesting argument because I think I know a lot of people say you should uh, that you should be able to joke about anything and I think that needs to be reworded because I think there are ways of dealing with certain things with humor but I think you should always have a level of responsibility there so it's very easy to write jokes about something where they might be irresponsible jokes because the comedy comes from making fun of a victim or uh, making light of something that is actually quite horrible and serious to a lot of people. And sometimes when you make light of something, it becomes such a joke that it's then not taken serious as seriously as it should. So for me personally, I... I would like to do jokes about certain types of politics or or things like that, but I find it very hard to write those well without it just coming across as me being preachy. I find it very hard for me to insert humour in them because I find those topics too serious. But that said, there are some comedians out there who can write jokes about, I mean, um, as a massive one, Bridget Christie uh, won an award for her show about feminism and she did it incredibly well Hannah Gadsby's Nanette is a perfect example of someone who can talk about the struggles of 
uh, what it was especially like to start doing comedy in a very homophobic country that is still struggling to get past that. And I can't do that because that's not my story to tell. And I don't think I have the strengths in that area to talk about those things. And that's fine because there are other comics covering those stories and doing them really well. And I think there are some comics who feel, especially new ones, who feel that to be a good comic, you should be able to write about any single thing. And I think, well, no, because that's not your story or that's not your voice. So maybe concentrate on what you, you care about and what you can use your comedic voice for rather than, oh, I'm just going to write jokes about anything. One of the things that annoys me a lot is when people say, if someone says, makes a joke about a subject that is uh, taboo, and then a lot of people say, oh, it wasn't even funny. And what I hate about that as an excuse is that it suggests that if it's funny, that makes it okay. And I don't think that's true. I don't think, if anything, I, I think that, yeah, you might be able to write something funny about something. That doesn't mean you should. And it's up to you whether you want to do that. And I get that some people want to be edgy and break taboos and stuff but I always put it this way I always say a poisonous berry might be really delicious but that doesn't make it less poisonous so you can write a joke about something that's really funny and that doesn't make it any better and in terms of your particular brand of of comedy you have this incredible paper puppetry mm -hmm. that you use can you just explain what that is for for those of us who who don't know about it um, and, and how you came up with the idea in the first place yeah okay so uh the paper puppetry is essentially it's like a pop-up book um but it's two-dimensional mainly most of the stuff only moves um across the page rather than coming three-dimensional out um so I guess it's sort of a bit like live animation in a sense it's a lot of tabs a lot of pull tabs and I came across it because it's funny we talk about this after taboo things because I'm not I'm not proud of the original thing. It's not the worst, but I'm not proud of it. Um, I'd written a sketch. I mean, we're, I was I think I was about eighteen at the time, and I'd written a sketch about uh, a superhero called Lazy Eye Man, and he is, he captures a, a supervillain who's Monocle Man. And they have this big sort of, I've caught you and you know, I've foiled your plan for world domination. And they have this big thing. And then Monocle Man says, I'm really sorry. I didn't catch what you're saying. I was too distracted by your eye. And while I had friends with lazy eyes in audiences where I performed that, really enjoy it. In the end, I thought, I don't want to be one of those guys who says, I'm happy doing this joke because I have a friend with a lazy eye. I just felt So in the end, I sort of went, oh, I'm better than that. I can write better stuff than that. But it felt... I d it wasn't punching down terribly, but it was one of those ones where I went, oh, I can, I can write something funnier and better than that that everyone can enjoy without any discomfort. But that was the original sort of sketch I'd written and I didn't know how to uh, perform it and I didn't want to I didn't want to bring an audience member on stage to do it with me and I didn't want to have to I, – I can't do voices. I can only do my voice. So I thought what I'll do is I'll, I'll draw the characters – uh, as a as a one frame cartoon and I'll put it on a big flip chart so that everyone can see it and then I realized that if I was going to try and show who was talking I'd have to give them moving mouths as I said because I can't do voices so I gave them little moving mouths so they could talk to each other and then you knew who was talking in that bit and 
And that itself, that actual technique got really good reaction. And it was the moving mouth stuff that got the laugh. So thankfully I realized that and went further with that rather than just writing more material about optical problems. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of part one of today's show. But join us again to hear from Beck Hill right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. We have an exclusive peek inside a modern Christian utopia when we visit the Bruderhof in East Sussex, a 300-strong community where all possessions are shared, crime and divorce are non-existent, and life is centred around Christ. Plus, we discover the evangelists reaching out to goths, metalheads and satanists. And we say goodbye to Soul Survivor after 26 years of the UK's best-loved Christian youth festival. All this and more in August's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. World-class Bible teachers, including Albert Moeller and Alistair Begg, are coming to London. Ligonier Ministries' first ever UK conference is taking place this September and you can go free. You'll get two tickets worth £118 completely free of charge when you subscribe to Premier Christianity magazine. Subscribe now and get your free tickets to the Light of the World Conference at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. Deputy Editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the monthly magazine that sponsors this show. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. But for now, time to rejoin my interview with Beck Hill. Let's listen in. Have you had any criticism from Christians about any of your routines? Uh, I'm thinking particularly ones that incorporate faith. So you did that um, kind of silly version of the Lord's Prayer. It's it's essentially a phonetical version of the Lord's Prayer that's very silly and involves lots of bums. The first time I debuted that was at my church (laughs) for a a comedy fundraising gig. So uh, I, I was confident enough that it was fine. And they were really, yeah, they really enjoyed it. No one complained there and everyone but then again my church is awesome so (laughs) I think everyone has a pretty good sense of humor um largely it's been pretty positive and in fact I would say there was a lot of people who went who've tagged in their friends and they're like you've got to watch this before Sunday um but I did have I think I had one person on YouTube or Facebook or something who was like this is blasphemous this is terrible uh this is really offensive I'm a Christian and I wrote back yes so am I (laughs) I was like don't be this at my church and I kind of feel like I've been given this ability for a reason so I felt quite I was quite happy with it I guess that said I'm never so righteous that I assume that every decision I make is correct I mean with that one I was pretty confident but if there was any uh actually there's one that I made for a for another comic who wrote a song called a comedy song called Kill Yourself which is actually really it is very funny it's very dark made a flip chart for that and I was happy with it and I didn't actually have any complaints about it but I did a campaign for the Samaritans and they called me and they said we've just realized one of your videos is is to a song called Kill Yourself and I went oh my goodness you're right that is that's really bad I was like in the context of of when I performed it it was part of a bigger thing and it made sense but I realized out of context that's actually not adding anything useful to society so I 
I um I took it offline. Um so uh so that's that's not there anymore. So I'm I'm open to I'm open to understanding that every decision I make might not always be the best one or in hindsight might not have been the best one. So I try and keep an open mind. But in terms of religious stuff, no, not not so much. I did I had a section in a show once about uh the book of Mark and the idea uh, and talk about how in it it specifically says that Jesus heals someone by spitting in their mouth and I do a whole thing about how I think uh, how I have a theory that Mark didn't like Jesus very much and and he was like yeah this is bad in his mouth and he's writing it's really silly but also at the same time uh it was within the context of me saying I do believe this stuff but let's just take a moment to understand that sometimes things come across a bit strange when it's 2000 years on and we're reading it in an you know a book that's been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten um and the amount of christians i had who who said they really enjoyed that bit and in fact um at least one other christian comic called uh, one guy called richard wright who then said it was the first time he realized that he could talk about his faith as part of his set and not feel like it was in a in an apologetic way or in a sort of or, or in a punching down kind of way it's just in a this is how I see it kind of way but respectful and Beck you said in the past that you have you've actually faced more discrimination on the, com- on the comedy circuit for being a woman than for being a Christian can you just explain what you what you meant by that so I should preface this all with the fact that it the comedy circuit is becoming much better for women and it's better now than it was 20 years ago better it was better then than it was 20 years before that and in 20 years time from now it'll be even better so I'm aware that we're all moving towards the right direction but there are still I I got a message the other day from someone who said uh, and I get this a fair bit but I thought I'd move past it where someone said uh, oh um, thank you for proving to me that women can be funny and I just thought, when was that ever the question? And I, it's so annoying when people think that that's a compliment when they say, oh, I don't normally like female comedians, but I like you. And I'm like, well, all, you're, all you've said to me just then is, I don't watch enough comedy. <laughs> because th- being female isn't a genre of comedy. We, What I do is so different from what uh, Ashley B does, from what Sarah Pascoe does, from what... Uh, Deborah Francis White does from what Catherine Ryan does from what Lolly Adafope does like we're all completely different performers and uh, you know just because we're female doesn't mean that we're the same type of comedy so it's it's really ignorant when people say oh I don't normally like female comedians because I think well then you're saying you don't like comedy because the, the range is entirely different and no one ever says it about men and that's very frustrating uh I find that I I get reminded that I'm a woman way more than than people going, you know, oh, I hear you're a Christian. Like that's never, or no one says, I didn't think Christians could be funny, but I like you. You know, I don't get that as much. And I guess that's because being female is a lot more obvious than being Christian. You kind of have to have an element of talking about it a lot for them to get that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really frustrating thing and it happens in television as well I've had two instances where uh where it was assumed that um that they were looking for three hosts for tv shows and um and I nearly didn't get the job because it was decided that if it went to two hosts it would definitely be two men 
and not a woman and a man or not two women. And that was before the commissioners had, in both cases, had seen the audition tapes. So what had happened is is the person making the show had gone, okay, so we'll have two or three hosts, either two men or two men and a woman. And a woman. And that they decided that before they'd seen any of the talent. So I get very frustrated when people say, oh, it should be book based on talent, not not gender. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not now. It's It's people assume that those are the places for the men and they get dibs on that so it's very frustrating um i've found that people when people find out that i'm christian uh more often than not they're really supportive or sometimes they have some questions but i mean the majority of my closest friends on the circuit are atheists and we never have heated debates it's always really respectful discussions and and every now and then we might disagree on something but it's never at a point that that it goes beyond our genuine love for each other and and I think that that's um or respect for each other and um and I think that's probably the best thing I can do as a Christian is to respect people in a way that I want to be respected and Sometimes that ends up having a much more positive effect than I realize. I've, I've, I have had a few um, friends, uh, some of which happen to be comics, who have said, oh, I, I only had bad interactions with Christians growing up. You know, they grew, either grew up in an atheist family or something or an agnostic one, and the only Christians they knew were very evangelical or, or they only knew what was happening in the news or things like that. And it wasn't until they got to know me and then found out that, I, that I'm Christian that they went, oh, oh, but you're, oh, okay. And I'd say, yeah, like most of us are like this. We're actually normal. <laughs> and and um, yeah, so that's been nice. It's been good. They've been a little bit more open-minded to, to that. I'm going back to talking about women in the industry. Do you have any advice for women who are wanting to make their mark in comedy? Um just do it just get out there and do it I think uh, I um and that's why I always need to preface stuff with saying like the the industry is getting a lot better because I worry that sometimes so much focus is put on the discrimination uh towards being a woman in comedy um or indeed any other um person who's seen as a minority in comedy at the moment that if we focus on that too much it puts other people off the idea of doing it because why, why bother starting when when the chances are so low but my argument is it is getting better which means your chances are only getting bigger so and the best way to combat that is just to have more women doing it so um i thoroughly encourage women to do it um and to, uh, the only way to make your mark is just be yourself and and find your own voice and that that might have something to do with your gender or it might not. Um, in my case, it was that I like drawing and being silly and puns and and stories and things like that. So that that was very much my thing. And I, I think that would be the same regardless of what gender I was. But uh, yeah, just just go out there, do it. And you're going to be out going out there and doing it, aren't you? In a couple of yeah. um, months for the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be performing I'll Be Back. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about what we can look forward to in that show? Yeah. So the show, the very loose premise is that I've gone uh, into the future to find out what's happening. And I've come back to talk about what's happening in the future and take any questions. And I don't want to give away too much because I've been purposefully vague 
because I like an element of surprise in my shows. That's the same reason I like magic shows. I like it when you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Um, so I've been really, really vague in my descriptions of the shows and explaining what, what happens. But uh, to, to go into a little bit more detail, for just especially for, for your listeners and no one else, um, the, uh, it's, it, cha- it changes pace. So it'll go from my stand type of stand-up that I've been known for, which is quite loose and playful and, and cheery. And I, I try not to lose the fun and cheeriness in it, but it does become more of a reflection of, of the future. And it's um, it's, a clo- it's the most personal show I've done in terms of the things that scare me and um, the things that bother me because I, I try and distract myself from them a lot. And I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to do a show where people walk out feeling depressed or upset. I, I think a lot of people go to comedy because they need a break from life. But I, di- I did need to do a show that talked about the things that are, that are really weighing on my heart and this is going to be one of those shows. But there is enough things in there that I think people will be constantly surprised and hopefully still leave the show feeling somewhat positive. And where do you draw inspiration from for new material such as this new show? Uh, well, this new show I, I've been planning for five years. So I had the idea in Edinburgh. Most of my shows end up I end up writing while I'm performing a show in Edinburgh. So I, I get about halfway through Edinburgh Fringe and then I have an idea for, oh, I'd really love to do this on stage. And then that becomes the premise of the next show. So that tends to go on and on and on. And I had this idea, yeah, y- years and years ago. And I thought, oh, that'd be amazing. What a great show that'd be to put on. But um, it heavily depended on uh, my abilities. I didn't feel that I was a strong enough comic to pull it off. There's a lot, of, a lot more writing in this show than there have been in previous ones. The previous ones are, um, as I said, a lot more chaotic and loose. So I can be a bit more conversational with the way that I deliver things. Whereas this one, I have to be quite clear about what I'm saying because it is so important that I say it right. So uh, I wanted to become a better writer. And um, and I also knew that a lot of the stuff I wanted to put in there would involve quite a high budget, so I had to start saving money. So um, uh, thankfully, I don't have any. I, I don't have any um, dependents in terms of I don't have any kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have anything that I have to put my money on. So essentially, all of my savings have gone into this show, and I'm not going to make them back because the fringe is not a good thing to try and make money on. Uh, even if I sell it the whole run, I'll be losing money. And I'm only not losing loads of money because everyone who has helped me put the show together has done so on a heavily discounted rate, um, in some cases free. So uh, I knew it was I would have to get to a point where I could put it on. But I don't think I can do it again after this just for, for financial reasons. So with that one, it was very much I had five years to put it together and to write it. And this one I wrote far more like a script um, the, the opening part of the show I was able to play around with at clubs and be a bit looser but the rest of the show was very very much um, meticulously planned and I, there were moments where I would wake up at 4am because a, 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 a phrasing had popped into my head and woken me up and I'd had to 
and I knew I would lose it otherwise so I'd end up getting up and then sitting at my laptop and writing it out and I remember my husband coming to the lounge one one night and saying like what are you doing and I said I just I, I couldn't sleep I had to get this out so this show had a lot of that but previous shows have been um different a lot of the things I tend to write are notes that I either write down uh, on my phone or on a piece of paper and then I'll grab them all and expand them a little bit and then I'll go to a comedy club and I'll I'll just stand there and go okay and then just go through them and see what seems to have legs what might work and then go away and try and work out how to make it stronger and how to make it better and and then eventually you'll end up with an hour of them and then you've got a new show on your hands. Beck, when you're talking about those moments in the middle of the night when you wake up, do you feel like in those moments, those are sort of God-inspired moments? Do you feel like your your gift and your comedy is something that sort of you connect with God, the creator, to, to produce? Um, more so now, yeah. I do, there was a time where I, I, I genuinely, I, I used to do a podcast years and years and years ago with another uh, now writer um, called Bradley Lee Kennedy she's another Aussie and we did a podcast called Gods of Comedy and it was where we interviewed different comedians about what they believe in and their faith and uh, when we were putting out those episodes it was before I'd found my current church and so it was known that I had a faith but I didn't have a church and one of my problems had been for years I felt like I'd chosen comedy over chaplaincy and I felt like I was cheating on God <laughs> because my my parents have been incredibly supportive of my whole family has been so supportive of, of me going into comedy and the only uh, person being that I felt like I was letting down was God I felt like I'd I you know God wanted me to go into chaplaincy and I'd taken this more I wouldn't say glamorous but more interesting to me path and uh, I had a moment when I was at a gig. It was a very small new material gig. And uh, I, the only other people in the audience were the other comedians who were on. And we all, most of us knew each other. And I realized it's a nice way of socializing and seeing my friends again, but also supporting each other. And sometimes we give each other feedback and notes after the gig. And... And these people you'd end up sort of meeting up with outside of, of comedy or, um, you know, if someone, not just that gig, but in terms of the comedy community, some um, most recently someone has um, had to have a kidney out and it was very last minute. And, um, and so another comic did a GoFundMe page and uh, they raised the money that that comic will miss out on for the next three months in a day because basically every comedian went, and, and comedians who don't even know this guy, but they just went, well, that could be any of us, and everyone just gave money. And I slowly started to realise, um, while I was at this little gig and, and it was a little bit hit and miss, and I thought, oh, this is this is sort of my church. This is my community. But instead of feeling really bad about it it felt like an epiphany it felt like oh I've been put here <laughs> like this is this is I'm I'm meant to be here and it was a really it, the feeling of relief that I had when I went oh this whole time I've been fighting it and now I can just go oh this was a gift this is something that I'm supposed to be doing and I was given this passion for a reason and I'm not def 
defying anyone by following it. Why else would I have this passion for it? Um, and that made a huge difference. That that completely switched the way. And I'd argue, I'm I've, since having that realization, I've become a far better comedian because there's not this weird hindrance on me anymore that makes me feel like I can't fully commit to it. Whereas since then, um, yeah, I find that I'm a lot more uh, into it, and also a lot more open to moments like that where you just are struck by um, by that sort of yeah, basically by God sort of going. Poof. All right, and then you go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Do you ever get stage fright? Uh, I get nervous. I get nervous almost always. In fact, the gigs where I don't feel nervous are usually the ones that end up going terribly because I'm overly confident and then I let myself down. So I still get nervous. But uh, stage fright, one or two times I'll blank, but I've started to realise that, um, that that's fine. And more often than not, I talk so quickly that if I blank, people just think that I'm giving them a chance to catch up. And then I'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to talk about. But it takes a lot of uh, getting used to doing that on stage for you to realize, oh, it's it's not as scary as I thought it was. People think heckles and stage fights are the worst and they're not. The worst is silence because when people don't laugh then there's nothing you can do. Whereas with a heckler, you can. there's an array of responses you can do or no response, but you have a choice. Whereas with the silence, there's nothing you can do. You're only left with your own feeling of, oh, I haven't done something right, but you don't know what. So yeah, I would say I, I probably fear silence more than I fear stage fright or, uh, or heckles. And Beck, you perform for children quite a bit, don't you? Mm. What one joke do children laugh at the most? Oh, they love farts. They love farts, which is great because I think farts are funny too. So <laughs> we're very much on the same mindset there. Um, yeah, I think one of my favorite one of my favorite things to uh, to talk to kids about. I, I tell the kids I don't like Spider Man, which is controversial. I mean, to say that in front of you know four hundred seven year olds is is you'll get quite the response. But um, I say I don't like Spider Man because Spider Man shoots webs from his wrists. And uh, that's not where spiders make webs from. And I say, give me a shout out if you know where a spider makes a web from. And they'll go, yeah, it's bomb, it's bomb. I say, yeah, it's bomb. I want to see that movie. I want to, I want to go to the movies and see Peter Parker say, I'll save you. <laughs> like that's, and they like that, but I like that too because I, I would watch that film. So um, yeah, it's unfortunately uh, very stereotypical, but uh, you can never go wrong, wrong with bums and farts. And what about the comedians that you most admire? Who do you sort of watch and think, yeah, that what they do is excellent? Oh, I think my favourite ones are ones who do stuff that's, that is so much more than what I do. So, I mean, when I started out, um, and obviously now, Josie Long is incredible, and um, she's done Greenbelt Festival quite a few years, I think. Um, and and she is incredibly uh, wholesome in a sense that um, that just feels right. Um, Josie Long is I thoroughly recommend if if people are feeling a bit down about the world and sometimes her stuff is about how the world is a bit rubbish. But you're like, oh, finally, someone else who agrees with me, I feel heard. And her stuff is really it's it's a it's a correct anger rather than a anger for the sake of being angry um so joe selling's fantastic but i would say um most recently the ones that have really uh 
I, I just love her. Uh, Spencer Jones, who's a prop comic, um, sort of character pop, prop comic. And uh, he's, I think he's got a BBC series coming out soon. Um, he has a character called The Herbert. And he's just uses everyday household items in really strange ways and and that really speaks to me it's almost clowning but I I hate saying the word clown because everyone expects the big red nose but Spencer Jones just fills me with so much joy his show uh, Proper Job Herbert gets a proper job I think it was um, maybe about three or four years ago at Fringe was my I saw it so many times that Fringe and I saw it specifically if I'd had a bad day I'd go and watch it because it just made me so happy Um, so Spencer Jones big uh, big ups there. Um, Trig v Wakenshaw is another physical comic, um, but it's mainly sort of, uh, sort of mine. But with he sort of will make a few sounds or might say one word or something. But he'll do a whole hour where it's just him um, imagining stuff and and pretending that he's a baby bird who's getting fed and it's really dumb and really surreal and and very enjoyable and again it's just it's stuff that spencer jones i just couldn't i people look at the flip charts and they're like wow that takes ages so much effort i would never go to that much effort but i look at spencer jones and i'm like oh i would never go to that much effort i mean the effort he puts into his stuff is incredible um and uh trig v is physically funny in a way that i will never be because i just don't have that that physique um or the patience to go through with learning it all but um he's incredible so i think watching anyone who does something that i just don't do fox dog studios is another one that i i would thoroughly recommend that people check out it's not really stand-up comedy which is probably why i love it um but they are um they they make robots basically that you can interact with via your phone and their comedy is really understated i guess the best way i could describe it is because they don't do so much musical comedy, but if you took the understated uh, style of Flight of the Concords and then made them nerds who make robots, that's Fox Dog Studios. I really like their stuff. And and Beck, what are you what are you most proud of so far in your career? Ooh, I know exactly what one of my proudest moments is. Um, I did a kids gig in Guildford. And before I was introduced, uh, the MC, who was also one of my good friends, Matt Hyten, said, um, uh, your headliner act is uh, is a brilliant act and she's a good friend of mine. And a kid in the front, I couldn't see the front because I was off side stage, but a kid in the front went, she? And, and he went, yeah, she, women can do comedy too, which the parents all had a chuckle at. And then he introduced me and I came on and I had a really good set. I was really proud of myself. And uh, and I finished up, and as I was packing up afterwards, my mum came up to me and she said, um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, my daughter was the one who yelled out she, and she wasn't saying it because she couldn't believe it. She was saying because she was very excited because um, today's her birthday, she's having a birthday party here, and she specifically said she wanted to go and see some comedy for her birthday. So uh, she was very excited that there was a woman on the bill because I, I don't think she'd ever seen a woman on a comedy bill, but well, live, and um, and so she said that that wasn't an incredulous she, that was a, a excited she, um, and she said so. 
basically they were wondering if they could come and meet you. And I said, yeah, of course. And I was just surrounded by these seven-year-olds who were going, why did you start going, doing comedy? Did you do drama? What was your favorite comedy show? What? The, like just all these questions. But like, and then like, I do drama too. And just all this stuff. And I just went, oh gosh. Because that, that's the thing, is it? It's about representation. It's about it you can't it's harder to be something you can't see so to to just have like a whole group of girls see that and and to a further extent you know having um anyone really see see a woman on stage from such an early age that places it in the norm as the norm so those kids are going to grow up going oh that's that's normal that there is nothing different about this comedy is a place for anyone regardless of of who or whatever you are um so I think yeah that's my pride I think that's that's the stuff that gives me the biggest pride and looking forward to the future now what are your what are your plans for the coming months uh I am so obviously Edinburgh is for the month of August and then I am going to try and go on holiday in September because mm-hmm. um, my, my husband's directing the show that I'm taking to Edinburgh and, and he's also producing it now because I, I actually got to be in a play in June and it's the first play I've ever been in and, and I was very stressed and everyone was great in the play and the director so I was only stressed because I was it was the first play I auditioned for and got and was in so I was very nervous um, but during that time was also peak Edinburgh prep time so my husband had had jumped in and and basically taken over all of the logistics and admin and everything and uh, as well as his full-time job and trying to do his own thing so um that was incredible so I'm hoping his birthday's in September so I'm hoping we can go on holiday for his birthday as a nice little reward to ourselves um October I might be doing some gigs in the Middle East which uh which I'm intrigued by I think because I've always wanted to go to the Middle East, but I don't think it's going to be the areas that I want to see in terms of a pilgrimage. I think it's going to be more performing to people in the oil industry, which has me in mixed emotions. Um, and then uh, onwards, I don't know. I'm, I th- I'm planning on potentially going back to Australia in, in January to do, to do some gigs and see my family. But uh, I'm keeping it quite open. There's a lot of stuff and the, there's a lot of things that are – that are in the oven and I don't know if they'll be done or if they'll burn. So there might be more announcements as time goes on, but for now there's some things cooking, some things baking. Some of them might be good. Most of them will probably get fed to the birds. (laughs) Well, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Beck. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, sadly, that's all we've got time for today. But see you next week. Same time, same place.